Crushing Satan's Head, Part 1, The Virgin Mary's Victory Over the Antichrist Chapter 4, Jephthah's Daughter, His Only Begotten, Beloved Daughter Quote from Judges 11 When Jephthah returned to Mizpah, to his own house, his only daughter met him with timbrels and dances, for he had no other children, and upon seeing her, he tore his garments and he said, Alas, my daughter, you have cheated me, and you yourself have been cheated, for I opened my mouth to the Lord, and I can do nothing else. And she answered him, My father, if you have opened your mouth to the Lord, do to me whatever you have promised, since victory has been granted to you, as well as vengeance against your enemies. End quote. Jephthah, a mighty warrior, was a saviour of Israel, delivering God's people from their enemies. Thereby he prefigures the Messiah. Notably, Jephthah was rejected by his own half-brothers on grounds which carry a Marian note, that he was born of another woman. Although they meant this disparagingly, we may think of the uniqueness of Our Lady, who is an other woman. Hence, the Spirit of the Lord rested upon Jephthah, a phrase and a reality pointing ahead to Jesus. Like Jephthah's half-brothers, the Ephraimites also refused to support him in defending Israel, unfazed, quote, avoiding them, he lived in the land of Tob, and men who were indigent and robbers joined with him, and they followed him as their leader. End quote. This reminds us of David when he was on the run. Quote, and all those left in distress, or oppressed by debt to strangers, or bitter in soul, gathered themselves to him, and he became their leader. End quote. Both Jephthah and David prefigured Jesus, given his own did not accept him. Hence he gathered fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and became their master, and with these he conquered the world. Jesus does not turn away the lowly or sinners who seek him. Next comes an ominous line followed by the most tragic shock in the Old Testament. Jephthah vowed to the Lord that if he were granted victory in battle over the Ammonites, then whatever will be the first to come forth from the doors of my house to meet me, the same I will offer as a holocaust to the Lord. The Lord indeed delivered the enemy into his hands, so a holocaust was owed. Perhaps Jephthah was expecting an alert goat to exit his house first, a prized ram or a favourite lamb. Such animals could dwell in the house of their owner. But Jephthah does not seem the tender type to have pets, and a single animal does not seem like an appropriate price for victory in war. On the other hand, what kind of a brute was he 
if he were expecting a devoted slave to appear first to greet him. In any case, what actually happened has been distressing to read ever since. Quote, Jephthah came to his home at Mitzpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances. She was his only child. Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. And when he saw her, he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble for me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. End quote. She was his daughter, his only begotten, his beloved, and apart from her, he had no sons or daughters. With such a description, we cannot help but think of Isaac, except his life was spared, unlike hers. See Genesis 22. The timbrels with dances remind us of Miriam, sister of Aaron, who had come with timbrels dancing and singing when God had hurled the Egyptian army into the sea. Now here was Jephthah's virgin daughter also rejoicing over the defeat of the enemy. She would pay the heaviest price for it, for it fell to her to be the first to come forth from her father's house. She stuns us with her submissive reaction. Quote, My father, if you have opened your mouth to the Lord, do to me whatever you have promised, since victory has been granted to you, as well as vengeance against your enemies. End quote. Such a spirit, yielding all for God's sake, anticipates the Virgin Mary, whose willing sacrifice on Calvary, lovingly enduring the seven sorrows of the Via Matris, was even more costly than death. This fixity of Mary's will in union with God's we see already in Nazareth when Mary asked the archangel, How shall this be done, since I do not know man? This question was not a prevarication from an unsure will. Rather, it was for the sake of understanding, to know she was not being asked to violate her vow of virginity, her total self-gift to God, for the sake of conceiving a son. So Jephthah's daughter did not hesitate to fulfill her father's will, but requested, quote, that I may wander the hillsides for two months, and that I may mourn my virginity with my companions. After this, she returned to her father, and he did to her just as he had vowed, though she knew no man. End quote. She asked for two months, not to rethink, but to mourn her virginity. This included acknowledging that her biological family line ended with her, and still she gave herself. She saw the happiness which married life promised, and still she gave herself. She was made a holocaust. For this, all generations have remembered and honoured her. Quote, From this the custom grew up in Israel, and the practice has been preserved, such that after each year passes, 
the daughters of Israel convene as one, and they lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, for four days. End quote. To this day she is remembered, although not nearly on the same scale as the memorials and celebrations and feasts devoted to the Mother of God. This should help us to appreciate that though the sacrifice of Jephthah's daughter was total, yet incomparably greater was the sacrifice of Mary. It is heroic to give one's life. It is ineffable to give one's divine son. Most mothers would sooner die than see their own child die. How much more when that mother is Mary and that child is Jesus. Despite the difference in scale, the parallels between Jephthah's daughter and the Virgin Mary indicate that the mother of God's victory runs seamlessly from her fiat at the Incarnation to her sacrifice on Calvary and onward to her eschatological triumph. For Jephthah's daughter was immediately willing to fulfil her father's word. Then when the time came, she gave herself unmurmuring in total sacrifice. Ever since, she has been celebrated by the daughters of Israel and now by the church, on earth and above all in heaven. Her loss is, in reality, great gain. So also, what Our Lady lost on Calvary was returned in untold glory on Easter Sunday to the advantage of all. There are further parallels. All Catholics know the victory is primarily Christ's, hence Jephthah did the fighting. Yet by participation, the victory is also Mary's, who freely offered her son, soul of her soul. Hence we see Jephthah's daughter gave herself entirely for her father's cause, for God's cause. The earlier events were fashioned by God to prefigure the latter. Jephthah's daughter was the first to come forth from his house to greet him, and so it fell to her to pay the price for the victory. The Virgin Mary, God's unique daughter, was the first to come forth, as it were, from God's house, the house of Israel, to greet God, not the first in time, but the first in fullness, in excellence. Receiving the Lord as mother when he came, it fell to Mary to suffer more than any other creature for the sake of his victory. Jephthah's daughter suffered her agony, hiding it under her simplicity and concern for her father. We can be sure Jephthah felt the loss of his daughter his whole life long, bitterly regretting opening his mouth with a catastrophic oath. Nobody defends his oath, albeit church fathers say many have been instructed by it not to make vows rashly. They maintain that vows made by the immature may be dispensed, while in Jephthah's case it was invalidated alone by its irrationality. We cannot make a gift of folly to God. Yet God allowed the events to roll out as they did, to instruct us on Mary's immolation on Calvary. Jephthah lamented that his daughter had brought me very low. 
It is the same word, karah, used for Judah crouching low, like a lion, in the messianic prophecy, and later for Israel lying down lion-like in fearless invincibility. In these cases, the lion crouches in readiness to spring up, or sleeps to waken when it will, both symbolizing the Messiah, who resurrected with a supernatural roar. Like a crouching lion, Jesus went down into death in order to rise, and like a sleeping lion, he rose when he chose. The same word, karah, also occurs three times in a single verse for dead Sisera at Jael's feet, each time in combination with nafel, meaning fell, as the deep sleep which fell on Adam and Abram points to Christ's crucifixion. By groaning that he is brought very low, Jephthah is expressing his own crucifixion at the loss of his daughter. Was Mary's deepest pain on Calvary not for her son? Was Jesus' deepest pain on Calvary not for his mother? Similarly, Jephthah suffered an unspeakable agony in losing his daughter. Counting for him as penance, his purified soul was accounted acceptable to God. See 1 Samuel 12 and Hebrews 11. We are upset by this story, but would Jephthah's daughter, given the chance, rewrite this piece of history so that the tragedy of her father's oath might be removed, that she be allowed another chance at life without the trauma of untimely death? She would surely have no interest, for she has undoubtedly an honored place in paradise one of the closest companions of Mary. She is perfectly content with God's arrangement and her role in it. Her life is high in heaven. It is worth conceding, too, that her glory is indirectly thanks to the Ammonites, the enemies. Had they not attacked, no such sacrifice would have been required. We bristle against the onslaught of evil in this life, but in the next we will praise God for all the good He has drawn out of it. If we are fully conscious of this, we need not even bristle under attack, as the angelic Saint Stephen asked God to forgive his persecutors even as they stoned him to death. He could see the reward of heaven outweighed all suffering. The Ammonites pressed Israel hard as mortal enemies. Jephthah offered an unknown soul to God in order that the Ammonites be defeated. After the victory was granted, he discovered who that soul was, his daughter. There was no other more dear to him. Generations later, David would win greater, more decisive victories against these enemy Ammonites, losing his child in the midst of it. Finally came Jesus who defeated the very worst enemy, Satan. His dear mother, spiritual daughter, gave herself for this victory and essentially suffered martyrdom for it. It is not easy for us to grasp this, but Jephthah's daughter gives us a glimpse, 
she who gave herself for the sake of Israel's victory, saying simply, quote, My father, if you have opened your mouth to the Lord, do to me whatever you have promised, since victory has been granted to you, as well as vengeance against your enemies. End quote. She could have taken the opportunity of her two-month retreat in the mountains to abscond and escape her young death, but she was the price of her father's oath for his victory. If the oath were not kept, so she thought, then Israel's enemies might quickly recover and threaten the very existence of the Holy Land with unspeakable consequences for salvation. Jephthah's daughter demonstrates that when the worst persecution comes, it will not be by tent pegs nor by upper millstones that the war is won, but essentially by self-sacrifice, that is, total consecration. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but spiritual. In this story, though both father and daughter suffer great pain, naturally our sympathy is much more with the daughter than with Jephthah. Might this be God's way to highlight Mary's suffering on Calvary, lest we otherwise notice only that of her son? Can we say God accepted Mary's self-sacrifice with the inflexible surety that Jephthah did his daughters? Perhaps we recoil from drawing a parallel which so elevates Jephthah to represent God. But the parallel has substance. Firstly, in the sovereignty of God's will, which, like Jephthah's, we cannot scrutinize. Secondly, in Jephthah's confidence in his daughter's devotion to him, for he expected her free cooperation. Likewise, God did of Mary. And thirdly, if we consider Jephthah's pain, perhaps we are reluctant to do this, for we would sooner berate him, first for making the oath, second for keeping it. But we are no better than he, for we by our sins caused the crucifixion of Christ, making us infinitely culpable. So what is the meaning of Jephthah's pain? Little is written about it. Quote, he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. End quote. These expressions of distress are not to be dismissed. Especially they are to be considered if Jephthah points us to the Father. We miss the point of the Father's love if looking at Calvary we simply say God is impassable so suffered no pain, concluding that the whole cost the Father nothing. It is true that God as God cannot suffer, but that does not explain His love for us. Rather, the Father and Son are one, so the suffering of His Son does reveal the Father's love for us. We cannot imagine a greater suffering, therefore we cannot imagine a greater love. And neither was God the Father indifferent to Mary's pain on Calvary. Perhaps it was the most distressing thing that He has ever witnessed. I know God the Father cannot suffer but that does not mean he is coldly indifferent to our pain. This love on Calvary 
ended the devil's reign, and he has been flailing ever since. God wants us to understand Mary's role in this, for she shows the perfect response of creature to creator. To help us understand, God gives us Jephthah's daughter in prefiguration. Like Jacinta Marto dying young, she lost in the short term, but won for eternity. Numberless antichrists win for passing moments, but will forever bear their damnation. Both premises hurt us in this life, and both conclusions should rejoice us in the next. Finally, her self-sacrifice was offered even after the battle had already been won, so we might think it pointless. But that is not how love works. Love is total. She was more heroic still than those who would stay and give their lives even after the battle is clearly lost, for she gave hers when it was harder, that is, after the battle was clearly won. For it is brave to fight for victory when the battle still might be won, and braver still to sacrifice oneself when the battle is evidently lost in an attempt to slow down the rout and give one's comrades time to escape. At least one is spared the misery of life after defeat. But to give one's life after the battle clearly is won is apparently to lose out on the benefits of victory. That is, if we are thinking only of this world. Of course, eternity matters more. The lesson for those who end up facing the Antichrist is to remain steadfast in all circumstances whatsoever. For if we are faithful, even after we think we have lost, in fact, we will win. If this is hard to believe, it is why God has given throughout the Scriptures so many promises of victory.